right, well, this evening we're going to have a special treat, over, and over the next few weeks, we're going to have a couple of different speakers from within the fellowship going through First John together. Um, the first person that we're going to have teach this evening for this Wednesday is going to be Ed. Ed's been teaching at the men's study for weeks, and then I've even had him share at Calvary Chapel Savannah a couple times, and I've... I don't let anybody teach here, so he never had the opportunity till this evening. So I'm grateful to be able to be led by Ed this evening. We'll pray for him together as he comes on up. Lord, we pray that you would continue to guide and direct our fellowship, those that are within this fellowship, those that you are equipping and using to lead, and that we would continue to grow together in your word as you use all of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And you were supposed to be. <laughs> Sorry, bro. <clears throat> you know, I think it's a real honor and a privilege to be able to come up here and share the Word of God. It's always an exciting time. I find that to be uh, just a blessing, just to be used by the Lord. And I appreciate Mike uh, using the five men who are going to be sharing the next five weeks. So just pray for not only myself, but pray for the remaining four men that God will give them discernment, wisdom, and open their eyes to what God wants to speak through them. So uh, we're going to go to one, First John 1. Before I read it, it's only 10 verses, so I'm going to read it. And why don't we open up in prayer? Lord, we just thank you for who you are and what you're doing, not only in my life, but in this fellowship, Lord God. Lord, continuously move through our hearts and through our lives, Lord God. Lord, prepare us tonight. Soften our hearts to receive what you have in store for us, Lord. Lord, not only speak to us individually, but speak to us as a church, corporately, Lord God. Lord, as always, Holy Spirit, you are the teacher that you will be glorified through it all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 1 John 1. And I'm reading from, I changed my mind, Mike. I'm going to NASB. What was from the beginning... What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life which is with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, and we are, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. As soon as my iPad comes up, be right with you. There we go. The writer of this uh, book, The Epistles, is John. And John not only wrote, wrote these epistles, but he also wrote the Gospel of John, 
and he also wrote the book of Revelation. And at this time, John was an old guy. He was nine years old. And he probably um, resided in Ephesus. That's where he spent his last days, Asia Minor, modern Turkey today. And the letter was not only just addressed, it wasn't addressed to a particular church, but it was written and it was probably passed around to the local churches in the region. And again, uh, it seems to be a pastoral letter, that meaning it was, um, who was it written to? It was written to Christians. It was written to believers. They were part of John's flock, or the congregation. And he was still ministering to the churches, which I find, I find amazing at nine years old. And I need to say something, because in this fellowship, there's a lot of older saints, which includes me, okay? And we realized as John was being used at 90 years old, that this should be both an encouragement and a challenge for us who are older, okay? That God is not done with you. God is not done with us, okay? That we need to be a part about the kingdom work. And that should be a challenge to us. That should be not only a challenge, but it should be an encouragement to us. And he knew these people. He knew who was in his flock, and he loved them. Okay, he treated them like family. And John had a real genuine concern for the family of God, which includes us here. And he actually looked at them as his little, as his children. He treated them like they were his own, like his own children. And it says, in, I, I think in, in John 2, it talks about uh, my little children. So it was really real to, to John. It was really personal, that pastoral heart that he had to share the truth with what was going on. And what's going on at this time, the church has been around for a few years. And at this point, apostasy was setting in the churches, that false teachers were penetrating and going on. And there's a warning about false prophets. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are raven, ravenous wolves in Matthew 7, 5. It says, beware. And if it's talking about beware, then, then we need to pay attention to that. It's there for a reason and a purpose. So um, John was going to address them by encouraging them, by strengthening them, by exhorting them, who had not only left the faith, who had not left the faith in the churches that he was reaching, but he was going to encourage them in the teachings of the apostolic teachings. So this is what was going on. And it's interesting, some of the things that the false teaching was going on, a lot of people were saying that Jesus was not really a man, that he was a phantom, that he was a ghost. He really... He just, there was no humanity to him at all. He appeared, but as a ghost. And we need to be careful of that. that that's, not, that's false teaching. That didn't happen. And he wanted to reassure everybody what was going on. That they were acknowledging that he has divine, that he's had divinity, but they were not willing to uh, acknowledge his humanity, okay? And we need to look at that. Uh, the reason why they weren't willing to acknowledge his humanity is because they looked at the body as evil, material things as evil. And they said that no way God himself could come here and reside in a body that was evil. So they weren't willing to acknowledge his humanity. That's one thing that John in this epistle is going to address. Another thing um, is with the Gnostics. The Gnostics believed they had this secret and... Um, uh, knowledge of who God was, okay? Let me tell you something. If someone's coming up to you and they're telling you they have a secret knowledge, run away from them and don't listen to them at all. They have no business paying attention to what they had to say. I believe the scripture says the secret things belong to God, not to man, 
Okay, so this was this was another false teaching was that was going on. They also claimed that they reached this spiritual maturity, that they weren't sinning. You talk about prideful and, and pu- being puffed up. So again, this was being addressed, and they were basically teaching the churches that um, because the body is bad, material is bad. It didn't matter what we did in the body. Okay, you could go along and do whatever you wanted to do. You could go along sinning. You can go along fornicating. You can go along being a drunkard. You could do all of these things. So it didn't really matter because they were separating it. There was a difference between the body and the spiritual. So we know that John is going to address that. He's going to deal with that. And again, John was going to reveal it by the things he already saw firsthand. And he was already going to reveal the teachings, combating these false teachings through the word of God, through the scriptures. And I believe as uh, individuals ourselves that we need to be Bereans that we need to search the scripture daily, that we need to take a look at, that we need to study it and see what the truth really is. Because if you don't know what the word God has said, how are we ever going to recognize what the truth is? But John was encouraging them. John was going to bring this, this forth. Um, let's look at John 1, 1 John 1, 1 through 4. I read that again. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This is Jesus. And the life was manifested. And we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, that things we write so that our joy may be complete. Talks about from the beginning. Or John, a lot of times, penned from the be- in the beginning, in the beginning. And we can go back, you know, there's a lot of scriptures in the Bible in the beginning. But three I want to point out is, obviously, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. He formed things from nothing. And then we look at the Gospel, John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So what he was acknowledging here was that Jesus existed before creation, so, check divinity, okay? That, that's, a, that's a response to the questioning whether he, was, whether he was divine. And then in this verse, what was from the beginning was acknowledging that Jesus was from the beginning, before creation, but that he was manifested, that the, he was, it was the incarnation that he came from heaven and gave up his rights to come in the form of a child and of a man. So check humanity, okay? This is another, this is another response to the teachings that were going on there. So we see he's, he was combating the divinity, and he's also combating uh, the humanity. My finger is going down here. Sorry, guys. So we see that it says that they saw Jesus, they were with him, that they handled him, that they touched him, they spoke with him, they ate with him, they slept with him, they fellowshiped with him, they sat under his word, they sat under his teachings and instructions. And they were saying, you know, this is the real deal, okay? There's no fairy tale. 
What we're seeing, what I'm attesting to, is we saw him firsthand. And we're attesting to what we saw. Okay? So we see that um, it says they looked upon him. He says, we looked at him. Now, I can look at someone and go, oh, yeah, I see him. But in a sense, what I was talking about was they gazed upon him, okay? And that gazing upon him was they were looking at him. John was in awe. John was in wonder of who was standing right before his very own eyes, that he was realizing for the first time who this person was and what Jesus came here and the purpose why he came here. So we think like, okay, well, they were able to gaze, but are we able to look upon the Lord? Yes, I believe we are. I think we look upon the Lord with eyes of faith today when we look at him. They saw him physically right in front of them, but you and I can look unto the Lord through eyes of faith, of believing, and we haven't even seen him, but we still, we still believe, okay? So, um, and we need to look upon Jesus. Hebrews 12.2 says, Look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Okay? This is how we look to Jesus. We need to look to him for our answer. We look to, need, look to him for our hope. And this is what the Apostle John was doing. They discovered all these things, and he was reinforcing and reaffirming to everybody that he's real. We touched him. He came here to deliver us from sin. He came here that we might have fellowship with him. He came here that we might have a relationship with him. And I like the Amplified Bible of Hebrews 12 too. It says, look away from all the things that distract you, okay? And focus in our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of, the faith, of our faith, okay? Listen, there's going to be people out there, this is historical truth that he's talking about. This is documented who Jesus is. It's not made up. You can look through the history and see that Jesus was real, that he was here. So, again, don't let any Gnostics come in or anybody tell you anything different, that he was the perfect God, man, and he existed to show us not only the Father, but to come here and to die for our sins. Verse 2 and 3. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testified, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim, and to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father, um, is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. John was really explained that he had a personal encounter with the Lord, that he had a personal relationship with the Lord. And he said, he basically, he's saying, we've discovered that we have that personal relationship. Because we acknowledge that he's the one who died for me. And he's saying, you can have that same thing. You can have that same relationship. You can have that same fellowship. The only way to have that is become born again, is to trust Jesus for the finished work on the cross. That was the only way that it's going to be able to happen. And you can have that same thing. So it's important, basically, that establish that you can have that fellowship and relationship with Jesus Christ. And that needs to be set first. In order for us to have a fellowship with one another, we first need to establish our fellowship and relationship with Jesus Christ. When that is set in motion, then we're able to move into the area, as John said, we can have fellowship with one another. And this is what allows us to be able to do this, that we can have fellowship not only with Christ, but we can have 
fellowship with one another. God desires that. He created us for, for fellowship. He created us to have fellowship with him. He created us to have a relationship with him. The fellowship with another stems from, again, knowing who he is. And I like sometimes with fellowship, it makes me understand sometimes, well, let me look at what it isn't. But sometimes when I look at when it, what it isn't, it helps explain really what it is, okay? To me, it works for me. Maybe it doesn't work for you. But I found that to be the case for me. And fellowship is not a social gathering. It's not a um, potluck dinner, even though it might turn into a fellowship. But that, in a sense itself, is not fellowship. Coming through these doors, okay? You come into this building. You come into this sanctuary. You sit down. And then you go, hmm, check church attendance. And we put it in a category that we just had fellowship with the Lord. That is not fellowship, okay? That is not fellowship. You're missing out on the one who desires to have that relationship. You're missing out on the one who wants, desires to walk with you. We converse with him through, not only, we converse with him through prayer and reading of his word. This is how we communicate with one another. This is how we have that relationship. That's how we have that fellowship, okay? And the Greek word for fellowship is kononia. It means partnership, communion, all things in common. And we see things in common was the possession of eternal life, the early church, that the early church was walking in one accord. The early church was walking in unity. And they were walking in unity in one accord from the one, and that's Jesus Christ. Acts 2.42. Let's look at that. They were continually, I like the word continually, you know, that we're continually uh, cleansed, that we need to be continuously devoted. They were continually. It was ongoing. It was continuously. It wasn't a one-time act, okay? And you'll see that through the Bible, continually, continually, continually. And it says that they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the Word of God, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So the, the center of all fellowship is Jesus Christ. The, all things that are in common were in the person of Jesus Christ. This is what felt, true fellowship is, okay? You know, each and every one, it's based, on, you know, it's based on who Christ is and what he did, our Christian fellowship. And listen, everyone in this room, we all have uh, friendships. We all have relationships with unbelievers. That's, that you will never be able to experience true Christian fellowship with these people. Those people, you know, we need to pray for them and all, but you'll never experience that. You can, it only occurs in the body of Christ. We're able to experience true Christian fellowship. It needs to be centered around Him. And I want to uh, point out some practicality of what Christian fellowship is. And maybe yours might be different than mine. But I think it's something I think we could all understand, we could all relate to, and realize, yes, this is part of what fellowship should be, okay? Just practical stuff. I like practical stuff. You know, we can complicate everything. We need to bring it down to practicality. What do we do? How do we do that? How do we approach that? How is that accomplished? And we see all these things going on. And part of it is encouraging mother in their walk. 
I passed the mic a few times. I walk around and said, "How'd you walk?" You know what I mean? And that's part of Christian fellowship. Be sincere about it, though. It's encouraging one another in what in their walk. What's going on? How's your walk? You struggling? It's encouraging one another to holy living, to be separated, to be set apart. These are the things that are part of it. Some of us sometimes we need to be doing that. Find an accountability partner. You've heard that before, and maybe you never follow through with that. Maybe you say, you know what? I think I need to do that sometime. I think I need to find accountability. But if you're going to find an accountability party, uh, partner, find someone that you can truly trust, someone that you spend time with, someone that you shared some things with, with about Christ, and that's what forces us, that's what drives us. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Because then you can ask questions when you're with someone who you trust, and saying, hey, what's going on? How are, you, how are you treating your spouse? Is that lining up? Are you treating the, your spouse as Christ demands us and requires of us? Are you following that through? It's, um, how is your personal prayer life? That's Christian part of Christian fellowship. How's your prayer life? What are you struggling with? What are you facing? What are you going through? That is an extension of being connected to our Lord God in a relationship with Him, in a fellowship with Him. Confessing your sins to one another. Hmm. I remember Kevin said that to me. You know, we need to. And I'm going, I'm not so sure about that. You know what I mean? <laughs> He's sure. I don't know if I want to. And uh, listen, I, sometimes I hide it from, from the Lord sometimes, let alone want to broadcast it to someone else. But it's scriptural. And we need to do what is scriptural. James 5.16. I'm doing it the old-fashioned way. It would be quicker if it was up there, but (laughs) hang with me. It says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for another so that you may be... It's talking about healing, but... It, it can go even further. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for another so that you may be... The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Confess your sins to one another. Lay it out. Saying, this is what, you know, this is what happened to me this week. This is the things that I felt short in. Because if you're with a brother who cares and is in true Christian fellowship, they're not going to judge you. They're going to come alongside and encourage you. They're going to come along saying, Brother, let's, let's go to the Lord with this. And these are the things that we need to do. These are the things that we need to do. I like this one. Bearing one another's burdens. Galatians 6 2. It says, Bear one another's burdens and therefore fulfill the law of Christ. It's basically coming alongside. Think of someone, let me paint a picture. Think of someone who's carrying a heavy load. And he's under distress. It's caving in. The weight of, the, weight of that, whatever he's carrying, is, is just distressful for him, that he can't handle it. And you see that and you come alongside. Hey, brother, let me help you. Let me lighten that load for you. Let me take it off. But it's the same thing with spiritual things. That you see someone who's under distress. You see someone who's hurting. And you're seeing them carrying that weight that's just crushing them. If you love them enough, you're going to come alongside saying, hey, brother, let me come alongside. Let's talk about this. Let's pray about this. 
okay? And this is what needs to be done. Caring for another is an example of fellowship with one another. And you've heard me say, one another, one another, one another. Isn't Christianity about others? It's about others. It's not about us. It should be about others. You should care about others. Do a concordance search. Do a search sometime. You know, I've done numerous times in fellowships doing studies in one another, okay? And that's part of Christian fellowship is really fulfilling the one another's. Look at that. Care for one another. Love one another. Pray for one another. This is all part of an extension of what Christian relationship and a Christian fellowship truly is in our lives. It should be. It should be. It says here, proclaim. Jesus, John proclaimed the truth, and he wanted to share with others. And because he had, his heart was Christ's heart. And we should have that same heart, to share the truth, proclaim the gospel with others. Tell others, okay? Simple as that. And it says, in, let's go to 1 John 1, verse 4. Be grateful this, I'm grateful this is a short chapter here. <laughs> 1 John 1, 4. And it says, these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. Listen, if we're truly walking in fellowship, then what will, it will be, joy will be produced in our lives. I like the word produce, because that's really what's going on. That's what's really happening. Because when we're connected to him, it's being produced in our lives. When we're abiding in him, it's being produced in our lives. Do you know that joy is actually the fruit of the Spirit? Sometimes we glaze over that, you know. Well, love, joy, peace. Uh, well, peace. And go, oh, joy. I never thought of joy. But it's being connected. It's being produced in our lives. We don't get up one morning and say, you know what? I'm just going to have joy today. No. When we're connected, when we're abiding, these things will be produced in our lives. That's the only way it's going to happen. I'm not talking about happiness. Happiness is based on circumstances. You know, oh yeah, everything's going great. Then the next thing that comes in, boom, you lost your happiness. Joy, things could come in, trials could come in. You take a hit here, you take a hit there. But guess what? You can still experience the joy. It's an inner peace, it's an inner strength, joy is. My favorite, one of my favorite scripture verses out of Nehemiah, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Are you able to say that? Are you able to mean it? You know, I can quote scripture, but I need to have it mean it in my life. And I need to allow it to be real in my life. What good is it just to quote scripture, no scripture, if you don't put feet to it, if you don't live it out? And this is what God wants us to do. Okay, five through ten. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. John received this message, this revelation from the Lord himself. He didn't learn it in some book, okay? He didn't go to school somewhere and learn this. He went to the school right in front of him, Jesus Christ, 
It was Jesus who taught him this. It was Jesus who revealed this to him. He's saying that God is light. In other words, God is holy. There's no darkness in him. He's perfect. He's all we need. He's all we need. And I need to ask the question, how do we start walking in light? What does that mean? I don't know about you, but I like to sometimes bring things down to the lowest common denominator. Okay? You know, we can complicate things. Well, we need to do that. I think we, I think, I think we need to, if we, and if saying, you know what it is? It's just really walking and following Jesus. It's that simple. We complicate it. Bring it down. Walking and following Jesus Christ, okay? We complicate things. Bring my life. We need to bring our life. I need to bring my life in line with what the Word of God says. It shouldn't be in conflict with it if I'm truly walking in the light. I like this explanation. I don't know if it's an explanation of light, but uh, Psalm 119, 105. And it says, Your word is lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Okay? A lamp. Well, think about a, a flashlight. Okay? You know, a flashlight. It, it, it brightens the path for my feet to walk. I think of in my neighborhood. You know, we're all close in proximity and we have socialize. We don't have fellowship. We, have, we socialize. And when we're socializing, coming home, only a short walk, we've got to walk in the dark. So what do we do? I get my phone, you know, put the light on, flashlight. I'm able to see where my feet are able to walk, okay? And it's the same thing with God's word, okay? And we see that uh, his light, it illuminates and leads us into guidance on how we should walk. So that's really what it is. That's all it is. Ephesians 5.8. It says, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. And we need to walk as children alike. God is saying, you know, you need to walk that way. So wait, you, you, didn't, you didn't walk that way, but now you have no excuse that you should be walking it. Don't walk in darkness, okay? You know, I tell a story that life, that light produces life and, and sin is darkness. Okay, it, they can't exist together. They just can't exist together, okay? And I think about growing up in, my, in Philadelphia, I got to get Philadelphia in there, guys, for all my Philadelphia homies out here. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that's a little joke there, right? And, um, but, um, it was in, and we had a little row home and a little kitchen. Like, if you got up in the middle of the night and turned on the light in the kitchen, all you saw was when the light came on, you saw these cockroaches scattering and scampering to get out of the light and go back in the darkness. And I was twisted enough to uh, look what cockroaches did and that they actually liked the darkness, okay? They, they prefer the darkness, but that light exposed, exposed them, okay? And this is what the, the God's light does to us, okay? We need to embrace the light, okay? We need to embrace it. We run away from it. Because what it does is it can fix us. It shows areas in our life that might need changing. God wants to change us. God wants to grow us up. God wants us to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what he desires for us. Don't run away from it and hide like these cockroaches did. We need to embrace the light. Let 
the Holy Spirit, let God's light shine on your life and expose those areas that he wants to change. We need to do that. There's no gray area, okay? Don't think there's a gray area. Don't think you can fool around and play with, around with sin and it's not going to take a hit and affect your relationship and your fellowship with Jesus Christ. It will. It will. Sin will destroy that. Sin will reckon that your relationship with them. And I want you to be clear about this, is we're talking about fellowship and relationship. Now, don't think I'm mentioning sonship, okay? Sonship, we're already secure, that we're spending eternity with them. That's a done deal because of what Jesus Christ did in the finished work on the cross. What is going on here he's talking about is not sonship, but he's talking about fellowship, your relationship with them. The Bible says that if we regard iniquity in our heart, it can't hear from us. We need to be on guard of that. We need to be safe about all these things. Don't think you can fool around. Don't think you can play. Don't think it's not going to affect who you are in your relationship with Jesus Christ. God's word is clear. God's word is clear about this. And even though we're, in verse 7, even though we're walking in the light, sometimes we're going to sin and we need cleansing. Continuously cleansing. Continuously cleansing. Thank God that the blood of Jesus, you know, paid the price for my sin, past, present, and future. But my daily walk, my daily relationship with me, when it takes a hit, I need daily cleansing in my life. I need it, okay? And um, so it's continual. Verse 8, 1 John. And it says, If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Okay? When it says sin, it's talking about sin nature, not individual sins. Okay? This is what's going on. It's denying, actually denying we actually have a sin nature. Okay? That uh, we have a propensity or tendency to sin. Psalm 51.5. Let's take a quick look at it and come right back. I love Psalm 51. When I'm really blowing it, when I'm really messing up, the Lord brings me back and I read Psalm 51. Psalm 51.5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Boom. Okay? And Mike has always mentioned this. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. Because we have a sin, we have a sin nature, Okay? Have you experienced that going on in your life? Have you experienced wrestling going on? You haven't faced every day you're wrestling with the sin that's in your life? Okay? That's not necessarily a bad thing. We should want that in our lives. But what is it telling us? That we are alive in Him. We're alive in Him. We wouldn't have that wrestle. We wouldn't have that battle if we weren't alive in Him. Oswald Chambers said, Dead men don't wrestle. Praise God that you're wrestling with sin because it made you made been made alive in Jesus Christ. Okay? And he has the answer. He has the answer. And you think like, well, we've been creating his image. I don't understand his sin nature. Well, guess what? You know, it had to do with the fall of man, it had to do with Adam. If you have an issue, take it up with Adam. But if it wasn't Adam, it would be me. If it wasn't me, it'd be you. Okay, so we need to deal with that, that we, are, we have a sin nature, and that's the reason why we sin. We need to take it off him. For one man's disobedience, 
Many were made sinners, but through one man we, we experience righteousness. And that's the second Adam, which is Jesus Christ, okay? Let's look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Faithful and just. Faithful, I'm reading my old King James Version from memory. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This should be a part of every believer. We should know this verse, not just memorizing, but it should be a part of our being. It should be part of our everyday existence that we need to come to him. This was written to believers. As we said earlier, John was writing it to the church, to Christians. And if you just take this verse without reading it all, you know, people, it, you realize, I, I've said before, without going into the whole rest of the scriptures, that this was written for Christians. It wasn't written for the lost. It was written for us today. That we can experience forgiveness. It should be part of who we are. And we say, but now we look at if we confess our sins, plural. Other verse said sin, sin nature. Sins meaning a manifestation of our sinful nature. That's what's really going on here. This is what it's being addressed. This is what it's being talked about, okay? And we've been bought with a price. Confession is an outward sign. We need to do it. David, David covered his sins. But he eventually came to repentance, and after Nathan deal with him, he wrote Psalm 51. Uh, again, I, I, you know, when I'm really bad and staying away from the Lord and hiding, the Lord convicts me, sometimes he brings me back to Psalm 51. And I just need to sit there and read it and, and just cry out to the Lord and, and repent. Lord, just restore me. Bring me back to right standing with you. Bring me back into right relationship, Lord. Again, I'm going to leave you with this. Proverbs 28, 13. If I find it, I know it's in here somewhere. 28, 13. Here we go. And it says... And when should we do this? When should we confess our sins? Get when we get around to it, when we feel like it. Uh, maybe I'll get to it tomorrow. Eh. And then we forget. And then we're just continuously in our sin. No. It says, Who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion, or some translations will find mercy. Okay? So we thank God that we can come to him and ask for forgiveness. Don't conceal your sin. Don't hide it. Come to the Lord. The enemy wants to tell you to stay away. Don't come back. You know, you've done, you blew it again. And if you listen to the lies of the enemy, he will prevent you from coming back and being restored to right relationship with him. God is saying, no, no, come. Come to me. I will forgive you. Confess your sin. I will restore you that we can start that fellowship all over, that his mercies are new every morning. So I leave you with that, and um, we have time for prayer. And I'm closing prayer. I'm closing prayer. Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for who you are, Lord God. Thank you that we have a way 
for when we do mess up, when we do sin, that we come to us and you can restore our fellowship and relationship with you. What greater love is that than having a, a personal relationship with the one true living God? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a great word from Ed, really encouraging, just a manifestation of the Lord, 100% God, 100% man, about true fellowship and also about confession of sins. But we are going to be praying this evening, interceding for one another. We want to be taking this message before the Lord and seeing how he wants to speak to us, each and every one, and making intercession. Let's go before him once again. Father, we lift up the rest of this evening to you, and we pray that you would be glorified, that your spirit would move, and that we would be growing closer to you in prayer in Jesus' name.